0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
1: Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menard's. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection. Ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com.
0: Save big money at Menards. This is a podcast from Minute Media.
1: I'm sorry, to the crack. Never changed me and my son of rain. It can when we hang. I'm sorry, could touch the blue part. the sports Sportfire, a sports comedy podcast that thinks Luca needs more help, and by health, I mean morning beers. I'm your host, Adam Weinerman. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, introducing the new see-through Crystal Pro Bowl, and standing in the outfield shagging fly balls behind Tom Brady and accidentally tossing them over the fence so Gronk has to chase them tongue-wagging. Big show today, former MLB pitcher Corey Garin is here to talk about his career and current efforts to change the perception of the game. But first, let's take a quick trip through the headlines. Michigan head coach, Jawan Howard, has declined the Lakers overtures for their open head coaching position. This is not the first time Howard's had a negative reaction to someone reaching out. Instead of coaching the Lakers, Howard will continue coaching the Big 10's Clippers. Michael Vick says he won't unretire to join the fan-controlled football league, but that's too bad because the fans are pressing the unretire button. Oh, poor little Michael Vick doesn't want to know what it's like to have to battle against your will for the enjoyment of others, said a pit bull. New Giants head coach Brian Dable has said he wants quarterback Daniel Jones to, quote, turn it loose. He also wants to, quote, tank. Yankees third baseman Josh Donaldson admitted to calling White Sox shortstop Tim Anderson Jackie, a sarcastic reference to Jackie Robinson. Donaldson was suspended one game, but will appeal to very few fans moving forward. The Washington Commanders have reportedly spent a hundred million dollars on land in Virginia, and I kinda thought commanders were just supposed to annex that stuff for free. No word yet on what the land will be used for, but investigators found a recent copyright filing for Dan Snyder's Cheerleader Farm. Mito Pereira choked away the PGA Championship on the final day, and unfortunately, we all know exactly one thing about Mito Pereira now. In a last-ditch attempt to rally, Pereira signed his scorecard, Justin Thomas. The Mavericks were again fined for violating bench conduct rules in Game 2 against the Warriors, their third fine of the postseason for $100,000 this time. But you can fine him as many times as you want. They're just going to keep playing The Floor is Lava on the chairs. There has been a change to the NFL's Rooney rule. The QB coach job now also requires a diverse candidate to undergo a thorough sham interview. The NFL has also noted they're considering changes to the Pro Bowl, including eliminating the tackle football portion. So standing and waving it is. The league hopes it might turn into a showcase event for the players, and much like the current Pro Bowl, will alternate between different Vegas nightclubs every year. Louisville basketball has hired Milt Wagner, the grandfather of the number one recruit in the country. Not to be outdone, Kentucky has hired Milt Wagner's childhood bully. Panthers quarterback Sam Darnold says he could be one of the NFL's best QBs. Darnold later clarified, at cooking or darts. And Patriots wide receiver Julian Edelman called Gate a full witch hunt. And just like the last time there was a witch hunt in Massachusetts, the evidence couldn't float. And now my interview with Corey Garrett. This was excellent, if I do say so myself. And I do. Mostly thanks to Corey, who is excellent. Take a listen. Corey, thanks so much for dropping by. Uh, you have become one of the best Twitter follows and, and someone who's doing an incredible job of summing up the business of baseball and, and sort of the taxing subculture of the game that regular fans might not be aware of. So uh, to introduce this, you know, we're going to talk your career. I have some fun questions, stuff I've always been curious about. But I think you're becoming really well known for sort of being this guy on Twitter. Um, how did you stumble into this rhythm on, on Twitter? And when did you sort of dedicate yourself more to social? I appreciate it. Thanks,
0: Adam. Uh, yeah, honestly, it's it's funny. In, in professional sports, most times, uh, especially within organizations, you kind of get talked to a lot about, the pitfalls of social media, where you know, you're know you not really encouraged to share a lot. It looks more like a place where you can make mistakes and it can harm your career um, negatively more than bringing any sort of positive opportunity. Uh, and since I've pivoted away from playing and, and moving into a different portion of my career, uh, I've really decided you know, I wanted to lean into this community. And uh, it's really made me reflect and, and recognize uh, the opportunity that was missed throughout my career by not engaging more, by not being more vocal and active uh, in the space because it's overwhelmingly positive. It's, it's been my experience. And it's, it's something that enables you to connect with fans and people that one really care about the game and are invested uh, in the future of the game, but also care a lot about the players that are in it and, and want to know about the experience on a very human level. And so uh you know the feedback that I've gotten from you know being more engaged and sharing both my experience as a player uh, and just my perspective as a, a person who's gone through it has been fantastic. And so I've just been really excited about sharing those experiences, sharing the realities, um, both good and bad, about professional sports and and inside Major League Baseball. And my experience as both a player um, on field and an executive board member uh, with the Players Association has given me. Uh, a pretty unique uh, insight into the game and the, the inner workings of how things operate. And so I, I've been excited to get to share that and, and hear the, the questions and uh, interests of, of fans everywhere.
1: I'm glad that you sort of pivoted right to the the labor talk, um, you know, being beyond that executive board, knowing that, you know, the inner workings of that from from your time and your playing days. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously we're, we're just coming off an off season where major labor issues sort of threatened to derail the entire season. We, we got things together um, and we, you know, hashed out the details for the current CBA, but um, it, it didn't feel, you know, to me as an outsider, I wasn't sure if we really settled these things or if we all just sort of decided to move on to the next cycle. Um, do you think we're, we're entering an era of labor peace or, or will these issues just sort of fester again and, and rear their ugly head at some point?
0: That's a great question. Um, I really hope that we're entering a a phase of um, labor peace, but to your point, it did kind of feel even uh, in the lockout that there was an element of, okay, we're just going to move on. And I think there were definitely some gains um, that players made during this last deal, but I also don't know that it was um, to the extent that players would have really hoped for, uh, especially for the amount of time that um, the lockout existed. Right. I think Uh, ideally there would have been some fundamental changes. And I think there was progress made uh, in that direction, but also um, how the game continues to evolve over this, you know, the lifetime of this labor deal, I I think will set the stage for what happens down the road. And a lot of these things happen organically, right? Like a lot of the issues that we saw kind of come to the forefront over the last six, seven years happened because uh, teams started operating Um, in new ways, right? Data and analytics really came to the forefront, the way decisions were being made uh, kind of evolved within the game and that put pressure on the system, right? And so um, players recognize that they need to evolve, that the system needs to evolve with organizations and how they're getting smarter and valuing players in new ways. And so uh, a lot of it just has to, to do with how teams decide to do business over the the lifetime of this CBA so hopefully that's in a very positive way for both players and teams um, but if not we'll kind of we'll all see <laughs> the direction that that takes but I'm, I'm hoping for labor peace obviously you always want that um, both as a fan uh, and a player and for sure uh, the commissioner's office and teams would prefer labor peace as well
1: yeah um, and and bring that on to the, the fans agree as well like we are hoping okay. for the best I'm not I'm not I'm not hoping for the worst. I'm just noting that th- th- things did seem to move kind of quickly. Um, you, you also, of course, you're, you know, you're you're learning now at Harvard Business School, um, which is sort of a part of this identity that you're cultivating on on Twitter. Um, and obviously, I think I'm sure you've learned a ton, and you're expressing every day things that you know you wish you'd known, or things that fans don't know that you're you're sort of experiencing from both sides. Um, mm-hmm. If you could just distill it a little bit, what have you learned? Uh, specifically you know the the sort of screaming, bright, flashing light thing that you wish you'd known during your playing career?
0: Yeah, so one of the reasons I initially even got involved uh, with the Players Association, um, and this will take a step back before we move forward, Mm -hmm. but one of the reasons I got involved with the PA was I wanted to understand the game that I was a part of. I think you recognize very quickly when you get into professional baseball that it is a business. Um, It's not just what's happening on the field. There's an entire uh, ecosystem that's uh, you know, functioning around you. And so I wanted to understand how decisions were made, uh, why decisions were being made, and the things that were going to impact my career. I wanted to have as much of a say in it as I possibly could. So fast forward to being involved with the union, uh, operating at really the highest level for a player in the game on the executive committee um, as a player rep one of the things that I recognized is I wanted to elevate the conversation as much as possible to educate players um, and myself. And so I came across this program at Harvard business school that they have, which is focused on professional sports and entertainment, um, the business that is connected uh, to that. And that's, that's both within baseball, football, every, every sport you can imagine we we touch on in this program, uh, but also the the media element um, of sports. Right. And so, TV dollars, as we know, in in baseball, football, basketball, pretty much any sport is a tremendous part of the picture. Uh, And one of the things I wish I'd really understood earlier in my career, uh, both as a a player and a a union representative and and committee chairman, is the structure of the business on the ownership and team side. Uh, I think as players often were very much focused on the on-field and we kind of see the game extended to maybe the the GM level, right? You're kind of focused on the, you know, roster moves and how a team is constructed, but there's much more that goes into the the picture than than just the on-field. And it can be really beneficial to understand how that works, uh, both in how you're trying to structure your deals on-field and off-field. And so, um, you know, I, I sought to, to be a part of this program at Harvard, but I also wanted to be an advocate to get other players involved in a program like this and the more guys uh, in Major League Baseball that can be getting that kind of insight and experience, um, both for conversations on the labor side, but also just in their, their own careers, I think it, it, it's only a benefit. And so looking specifically at the program and one of the case studies we got into uh, specifically was... Uh, BAM Tech uh, with Major League Baseball, which was um, really a pioneering project uh, that MLB started up um, back in the early 2000s and, and in-house uh, a lot of their technical development, the you know MLB.com, the uh, all the video production that goes into what you see if you click on a team's website, any of that, all of that was done in-house by MLB, how they built out that program, how they partnered with Apple to really kind of pioneer the streaming of uh, sports media online and through tablets and mobile. Um, that was something I had no idea about really before I had heard of bamtech I obviously knew the MLB websites and all that, but the actual business beside it and what it looked like to, to develop that out and the eventual windfall that MLB and MLB's owners saw from uh, Bantech and, and really pioneering that uh, product was something that I, I knew nothing about initially. And having seen the, the value uh, and what it means both to the game and to teams was something that was really eye-opening. And, and you see it across different sports, those kinds of um, structures uh, on the business side of the game. It's, it's really impressive to see and uh, unique for baseball, at least to have an example like that.
1: Amazing. Um, I, I'm going to take it from all the way to the end of your career. Now, all the way to the way back. Um, this is a, you know, personal um, favorite, like, you know, everybody's got their favorite things about the game of baseball. It can be so old fashioned and so modern. One of my favorite things about baseball is the Cape Cod league. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find it to be so pure and, and also so funny that it's just all these top collegiate talent. Um, you know, out out on the water, um, you know, driving in those, you know, large beach neighborhoods um, and, and you're coming from Mercer. Um, so it's obviously a huge chance to get yourself some national exposure too, facing off against some really big names. Um, what are sort of the most ridiculous things you remember from that summer on the Cape, um, either in terms of, you know, players you face where your mind is kind of blown or just like circumstances where you kind of can't believe you're there? Yeah, that was that was a
0: pretty pivotal and, and magical summer for me. Um, even getting up there, I'd actually, I was committed to go to Mercer, but I went to a junior college for two years before even going to Mercer. And so mm-hmm. the summer before I arrived at Mercer, um, I had gone up to the Cape and I actually tried out for like a temporary contract to even be able to play on the team. And uh, Joe Smith, who obviously has had a, a long major league career, he had committed to play for the team I was trying out for. And he'd obviously been drafted very high. Uh, and so the coach said, I always like to have a sidearm guy. So I'll give you a chance to try out. Um, but when Joe, if Joe does end up coming, like you're gone, which I was like, okay, I can understand. <laughs> um, so I, I ended up trying out for the team. Uh, he, he gave me a two week contract. So I stuck around for a little bit. Um, and then I, I performed really well. Joe signed his deal with the Mets and I'm pretty sure it was like pitching the big lease, like a couple months later, but um, that opportunity was huge for me. And a lot of the things that I remember both about the talent that you face, you know, the team that I played on, um, we ended up winning our division up there, but we had Justin smoke. um, You know, we had Reese savings, a bunch of like big time guys, Tony Thompson, that team um, guys that were incredibly talented from big time programs and coming from a junior college, I was, you know, mind blown. And that summer, one of the at bats that I really remember the most um, both because of who, who the guy was, but also, um, who he eventually became to be, was um, I, I I ended up closing for the team that I was playing for up there. And I remember after one game, uh, Mercer, the, the school that I went to, and also the junior college I uh, went to were both in Georgia. And one of my buddy's dads was a coach in Georgia, and he was up to watch us play. And I closed out the game. Um, you know, I got a couple strikeouts, something like that. And then after the game, he came up to me and he was like, man, do you know what you just did? And I was like, close the game, whatever. He's like, no, that last guy you faced was Buster Posey, man. He's like, that guy is a huge deal. And like, I knew the name, I knew kind of who he was, but it hadn't really hit me like, oh, that guy's really a big deal. And then sure enough, like I ended up becoming teammates with Buster down the road and he's obviously a hall of fame caliber player. Like, I I really think he'll be in the hall at some point. Um, And so getting to face competition at that level um, it's just really special in terms of confidence that it gives guys that go up there and play, especially from smaller schools to compete um, in front of scouts. I mean, the the stands are always full of scouts. People always ask me, is it like summer catch? That's always the question I get. Is it like yeah. summer catch? I'm like, ah, it's not quite like summer catch, but there's, a, there's some commonalities for sure. But, you know, between eating like lobster rolls and ch- chowder down in the bullpen and stuff during the games and having – you know, very like Norman Rockwell, 4th of July parades through these small towns on the Cape. It really is a magical place with, I think the best amateur baseball uh, in the country. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I got to have that experience. And I, I hope any player that has the opportunity will, will take it to go play up there because it really is just a special combination of a magical, uh, you know, geographic location and, and climate during the summers there, but also just, incredible talent and exposure that players get, um, you know, up on the Cape during the summers.
1: I uh, I had, do you think Buster's going to the hall of fame later on my list? I'm just going to uh, scratch dude. that. I'm just going to scratch it, that one out, but yeah, just, any further <laughs> thoughts you have, feel free to share.
0: Especially as a pitcher that threw to him, you recognize the value that he, he brings and, you know, more and more you see how, how difficult it is for catchers to sustain that kind of offensive prowess over a career. And he did it, up until his last AB, I mean, he just his last season was arguably one of his better seasons he ever put together. And, um, you know, I think he's, he's a hall of fame, just person, uh, in the game, but I think what he did on the field between three world series and MVP, and he has every, you know, accolade you could want. Uh, and I, I just think if you ask me, I, I definitely think he's, he's a hall of famer. It's, it'd be hard for me to imagine putting someone, um, ahead of him during the period that, that he had uh, that's just incredibly difficult to do
1: yeah i agree i i don't even really think it's close but it's, it's good hearing that from you so it's not just coming from me um you uh you you had the best season of your career probably in san francisco in, in 2017 which is the organization where it feels like everyone has their best season uh, yeah. what what is so special about that player development program that just sort of allows these breakouts
0: you know, I think culture goes a long way in professional sports, just like in, in any industry. Uh, and what's interesting for most fans to, to learn is, you know, every organization has its own culture. They have their own values, their own strengths and and weaknesses. And one of the things about San Francisco that I think is a, um, a welcome adjustment for many players is there is an element of being yourself that is invited when you walk in the doors there. The, the one thing I remember the most about even my first day, um, you know, I I came from Atlanta. I was a young guy. I'd had, you know, some success in Atlanta, but had never really put it all together. And I remember walking in and the, the biggest names on the team were the first ones to come up to me and really say like, we're excited. You're here. You're going to be a big part of it. Like all of that. And so that goes a long way. And also encouraging guys like, Hey, whatever it is that works for you, go do that. And then we'll kind of work together to refine the finer points. And that's not true for every organization in baseball. And sometimes that, uh, that can be a big deal for allowing guys to kind of use what it is that is special about them um, to get out. And, you know, you see guys, you know, you think about the personalities that have come through San Francisco, the, you know, Brian Wilson's and the Sergio Romo's and and guys like that, like the the freedom to kind of be themselves uh, can, can be a huge uh, advantage for certain players in in the right organization. And they just do as good a job as anyone in baseball of working intelligently uh, in their player development, but also creating a culture that encourages players to be comfortable, to be themselves and that we're going to get better together, but we can do it in our own way. It doesn't have to be any one particular way and uh, for the right players that is exactly uh, what they need and I think they do a good job of identifying those guys as well and bringing them in
1: something I have to ask about um, I I am a Yankee fan uh, so of course I I remember you joining the team back in 2019 Um, and one of the things that I have found funny since that day and I don't know if it even pinged on your radar but did you ever see the cartoon that Didi Gregorius drew of you after your Yankees debut Yeah, I do. I've got a screenshot of it on
0: my phone right now as we speak. I I love it. I think that's such a cool thing that he does too. And when I saw it, because you obviously see that, what he shares and all that. So I was like, man, I hope he does one of me at some point. That would be really cool. But yeah, I loved that.
1: I laughed about that for like a week after because it was you had like just joined the team. I think it was during the Seattle series or, or whatnot. And it was clear yeah. that he was trying to figure out who you were and what you were about. And then he kind of settled and was just like, why don't you just throw yeah. a gear? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Like, I'm not going to wait. I'm, I'm just, yeah. I got to do it now. It's just like I just going to be chucking a gear. I'm, I'm so glad that you, you saw that and like that. Um, uh, obviously, that that organization is a tough one to, to crack through and, and break through in. Um, but that was sort of a magical year, too, with a lot of people, you know, coming in and contributing who probably weren't expected to. What was sort of the clubhouse vibe when you joined that team?
0: Oh, man, honestly, one of my favorite clubhouses and definitely one of my favorite organizations I've ever been with. The one thing about the Yankees that I think you recognize on the other side. But once you come into the clubhouse, it's it's crystal clear is the expectation. Um, and it doesn't even have to be spelled out for you. It, there is a culture there. Uh, where the expectation is excellence and it's winning every day. Uh, And it's, I think, I think when you're on the other side, you tend to think that it's going to be stuffy or stifling or something like that. And it was the exact opposite. It was a loose clubhouse. Everyone was cool. The biggest guys in that clubhouse were the best guy. I tell people all the time about my experience with New York. And I was like, some of the best people I've played with in baseball just in terms of good people, you know, the CC Sabathias, the Aaron judges, the, you know, like these guys are the face of the game and some of the best people in the game. And for an organization to, to have guys like that and to, uh, you know, really foster that kind of a personality, like it says a lot. And so um, I tell people all the time, the, the New York Yankees to me are excellence personified in baseball by, by culture. And like, clearly you look at their records and what they've done, um, which is impressive in and of itself. But if you get to know the team and you get to know the people that are associated with it, there's just a commitment to being the best. That is like, I really don't know that it's paralleled in in the rest of the game. And, And obviously you don't win the world series every year, but for an organization to have that expectation and it's a real expectation, right? Like it's not a, that's not, lip service and i think there are a lot of places in baseball that there's a hope that they're going to be good or like we would like to win a world series but there's a very big difference between this is what we'd like to do and this is what we're committed to doing and anything below that is not going to really be accepted Uh, and they do that there as as well as anybody in the game and they do it in a really sustainable um you know, holistic way. I, I just, it, I was so thankful to get to be a part of that. And that team particularly, I mean, that's one of the best teams I think in a while. Um, you know, it didn't end up like we wanted it to, but um, incredibly talented. Obviously the record kind of spoke for itself uh, in terms of, you know, what that group did during the regular season. But uh, it's a special team. There's no doubt about that.
1: Yeah, that was a season I, I never wanted to end for sure. Um, was, there, was there a big leaguer, sort of regardless of skill set who you just knew that you could get out somebody that you owned and like you know you know star or not where you just kind of were like i think i got this
0: no i think so the the tough thing about the big leagues is the best guys the be, the guys that are there for a long time are constantly making adjustments no one just gets there and does the same thing for 20 years right it's this game of constant evolution and you know that that chess match that they talk about like You get there with a certain set of skills and you better start working to address your weaknesses and improve your strengths if you want to stick around. So the beautiful thing about that, and that's the most, that's the fun part of the game for me, especially as a pitcher is okay. Who's adjusting, who's not adjusting. Do my strengths line up, you know, where's this guy's weakness. And so, um, you know, as soon as you feel like you've got a guy, that's really when you need to start worrying probably. So it's, it's really a a day-to-day thing where, um, you know, there's, there's tons of data and information in the game and you can look back over years of what this guy's done. And you can look back over the last two weeks at what this guy's done. And I would argue that the last two weeks are probably the more important um, set of numbers, right? Like you do have to take both into account, but guys make adjustments, they change and sometimes they're just hot. And so, um, you know, there are plenty of guys that my stuff matched up again, you know, like as a sinker slider guy, there are just certain approaches that you have a better uh, match up with but uh, you know I don't think I'd ever say that well I just this is my guy forever because there have been plenty of guys that I would say um, and I, I know somebody off the top of my head I won't throw him under the bus because he got me also uh, but I, I struck him out like eight or nine times in a row and then he took me deep you know what I mean it's like wait a second like what just happened here uh, but that's that's the game and that's what makes it interesting and makes it fun and Uh, Keeps guys working to get better day in and day out in the big leagues.
1: Yeah, fantastic answer. Uh, Right amount of nuance. I really appreciate that. Um, I'll let you go on this. Um, Obviously, as a Mercer alum, that school is very well known for doing one of my favorite things, uh, beating coach K in March madness. Um, <laughs> do you remember where you were when you watched that game? Obviously that's during March. So you're, you know, you're probably at spring training, but do you remember anything about that day? Yeah,
0: I do. So I remember I, we were in spring training uh, because you're, you're keeping up with all that stuff that's going on during spring. Um, and I obviously I definitely support Mercer. You know, they, they took care of me. They, you know, help get me to professional baseball. And so I was excited for them to be in the tournament. Right. Like, and I think at that point, you're not really expecting to knock off Duke. So I had watched tip off and then gone out for uh, the game. So, you know, during spring, you have to, depending on the organization, you have to stay for at least like five innings or so. So you're out there for hour and a half, two hours. And I remember going out and being like, well, I'm pumped that they're in the tournament. Hopefully they keep it close and i came back in from the game um, you know once once my time was up watching and they had won and i just could not believe it. i was like running around the clubhouse i ran up into the dugout like telling the guys like you're not completely like dude just got knocked off like <laughs> mercer like my team did it Um, but yeah, that was a a wild, wild, I don't know if we'll ever do it again. I I hope that, you know, they can make some magic like that happen again in March, but are you a North Carolina fan? Like, why are you? Yeah, yeah. I I am. (laughs) That's really interesting. I actually, so I actually just, um, applied and got accepted to, uh, UNC's, uh, business school. Yeah. Did you, did you go to UNC or?
1: You reveal my greatest shame. No, I did not go to UNC. Uh, I'm a huge fan and I didn't go.
0: No, that's, that's great
1: but I, I love the area going, going up there, um, you know, in triple A,
0: obviously team, there's a team in Durham. So I would always pop over to Chapel Hill and check out the, uh, uh, the campus and all that kind of stuff. But it's uh, it's definitely a cool school, but I'm, I'm glad that uh, Mercer was able to pull out that upset. And that one, that's a feather in the cap. No one, you, you don't get to, uh, you know, talk down Mercer basketball ever because of that now and, and getting to beat coach K in, in March is a special, um, special accomplishment.
1: That is, that's awesome, man, on, on multiple levels. Corey, thank you so much for, for taking the time and talking to me. I really appreciate it. This is incredibly insightful, as is your Twitter feed, as is everything you put out. Um, and looking forward to seeing more from you in the future, for sure. All right, I appreciate it, Adam. Thanks. Corey Guerin, everybody. An excellent Twitter follow. Again, if you're not already following, you're going to learn a lot. Also, according to Didi Gregorius, a guy throwing a gear into the air. And now, our final flame from the worst possible character you could be hearing from right now, the 67-year-old man who delivers the final flames. The Josh Donaldson, Tim Anderson beef is this week's hot button sports issue. And the discussion cannot be laid to rest until I, a mid-60s sports writer from middle America, has weighed in. So, here we go. In full, my opinion redacted has no redacted to possibly redacted redacted furthermore redacted a flightless bird redacted eight ounce wheel redacted redacted some form of primitive juggling but we'll never get anywhere as a society unless redacted 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 half-price notes. so in conclusion tim anderson redacted redacted number two pencil redacted half gallon of seal water redacted 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 so hard redacted solve racism My thanks to Corey Guerin. I'm redacted. We'll see you next Thursday.
0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.